Welcome to The Path and the Practice, a podcast dedicated to sharing the professional origin stories of the attorneys at Foley and Lardner LLP, a full-service law firm with over 1,000 lawyers across the U.S. and abroad. I'm your host, Alexis Robertson, Director of Diversity and Inclusion at Foley. In each episode of this podcast, you'll hear me in conversation with a different Foley attorney. You'll learn about each guest's unique background, path to law school, and path to Foley and Lardner. Essentially, you'll hear the stories you won't find on their professional bios. And of course, you'll learn a bit about their practice. Now, let's get to the episode. Today, I'm speaking with Nick Benson. Nick is a 3L at the University of Iowa College of Law and was a summer associate at Foley this past summer of 2020. As you can probably tell, this is a unique episode of The Path and the Practice in that I am speaking to a law student and not a licensed attorney. But Nick is in his 3L year and promised to our Milwaukee office after he graduates, and we wanted to have him on to talk about his experience as a virtual summer associate. Because Foley, like so many other firms, is gearing up for an on-campus interview season like none other due to the COVID-19 pandemic. It's been pushed back by a number of months, and it's no longer on campus. It's all virtual. So in light of this, we wanted to do an episode of The Path and the Practice to give some of our prospective law students a taste of what it's like to work in a virtual environment. But of course, this is The Path and the Practice, so I first have Nick reflect on his path to law school. He shares about growing up in Michigan and then moving to Iowa, and he expresses immense gratitude for the role his grandparents played in supporting him on his journey. He talks about how it was adjusting to law school. He even mentions the dreaded case of Pearson versus Post. And he also talks about writing onto Law Review. Then I have Nick reflect on life as a virtual summer associate. He says that before it started, he was nervous, but that he was pleasantly surprised by the many opportunities he had to do substantive work across a number of practice groups and to really get to know fully attorneys. I hope that any law students listen to this are heartened to hear Nick's story of what he was able to do, and just to hear that even though we live in these extraordinary times, we are able to make the best out of these virtual environments. And to the Foley attorneys, I hope you're excited to hear about the immense talent we have joining our firm in about a year. Finally, I want to do a shout out to our recruiting department. I say this during the episode, but let me say it again. I watched Foley and Lardner's legal recruiting department move heaven and earth to plan what was obviously a phenomenal virtual summer associate experience. And I think behalf of myself and on behalf of our Summers and the rest of the firm, I just have to say thank you. So with that, I hope you enjoy the episode. Nick, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Alexis. All right. So this is unique in that you are still a law student. You are a 3L and you're going to tell us more about that. But you just did your summer associate time with Foley. So I want you to give me your introduction. Normally, I would say your professional intro, but just give me your general introduction and we'll take it from there. Yeah, Alexis. So I'm uh, actually a 3L at the University of Iowa College of Law, finishing up my law degree. I went to Iowa for undergrad as well. I'll be heading back to Foley as an associate in their Milwaukee office. And yeah, I just, uh, I'm excited to get started. I don't have that full biography yet, but I'm excited to add more to it. So it's funny. I'm sure this will happen more, but so we've now recorded maybe 20 or so of these podcasts, and you are the first non-licensed, like you're the first law student I've had on. So everybody's been on so far. And I I love that we are going to get more of a snapshot of your journey as to where you are now. And then we'll have to have you back on in like two or three years to compare. But let's start at the beginning with you. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? 
So I actually grew up in a town called Belleville, Michigan, actually. So my dad was a flight attendant for, if you remember, Northwest Airlines before they merged with Delta. So he would fly out of Detroit and I grew up in Michigan until I was 10 years old. Huge Michigan fan, grew up with that. I know you went to Michigan for law school as well, Alexis. So we had talked about that. But actually, when I was 10 years old, though, my mother passed away of brain cancer. So we ended up having to move to Cedar Rapids, Iowa. My grandparents took me in very graciously. My dad, he's flying all the time, so he does a lot of international flights now. So I grew up with my grandparents until I was 18. I went to a school in Cedar Rapids, and then I went off to Iowa for undergrad. I needed to get a little bit away from my grandparents just to get a little distance at the same time, just close enough so I could always uh, stop by and check on them. So. Well, and I want to hear a little bit more about, so Bellevue, is that what you said? Belleville. Is Belleville. Sorry, Bellevue is like... I think that's like a hospital in New York. Maybe. <laughs> so you grew up in Belleville, which is in the Detroit metropolitan area. Correct. Like in those first 10 years or so. And I'm curious of two things. What kind of kid were you? But then also, that's obviously like, well, that's really, really hard to go through at 10. But what what was that transition like moving from Michigan to Iowa? Was I mean, I'm assuming it was really, really difficult. But I don't know if there's anything more to reflect on that part of your your journey. You're absolutely correct. I mean, it was extremely difficult at first. I mean, when you're at that young of an age, I think that you think your friends and uh, like your youngest friends are like the ones that you'll have the rest of your life. So I felt like I was getting uprooted and that I was losing all my friends. I would never make new friends. So I was really worried about that aspect. But my grandpa, I still remember he was sending me newspaper clippings of uh, the high school football team that I'd be going to, like the high school I'd be going to. So he's trying to get me excited. But my grandpa actually drove us to uh, back to Cedar Rapids. So he drove up, we pack up the car. Uh, we had this little toy fox terrier, black and white dog. He's standing on top of like all the boxes in the car. And so I'm like squished into the passenger. I was like, I don't want to do this. I really don't want to go there. But as soon as I got there and I started to realize that I, I made friends pretty quickly at Cedar Rapids. I mean, Iowa is just one of those communities, especially Cedar Rapids, one of those communities that is very welcoming to people. So I think it was one of the best things for me to grow up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa after that, because I quickly got acclimated to the environment and everyone was just very welcoming. So, yeah. And I'm going to have more questions about Cedar Rapids, but we have to pause on your grandparents because I know you mentioned that you told them you were going to do this and they're going to have to figure out how to listen to a podcast. But can you tell me a bit about them? Like, yeah, just tell me about your grandparents. Yeah. My grandparents are, uh, <laughs> I get like a little, uh, little emotional even when I talk about them, but they, uh, I know, Carrie, I'm sorry. I'm going right. And we've been talking for four minutes. <laughs> no, you're good. It's just, they, uh, since I was 10 years old, they kind of, they came out of retirement. I always tell people they came out of retirement to bring me in and it was awesome. I mean, I was kind of that unruly child in the early years and growing up and they, uh, they really were good about making sure I I had room to grow, but at the same time, they disciplined me. But I was going to say, it's such a tough year that since you said they're going to be listening, I was like, I just have to ask him about his grandparents because it's just, it's not that often that we get to just say like, oh, this was, this really meant a lot to me or these people mean a lot to me and they're going to have a recording of it. So that's, that's even better. But just so what did they retire from? Like, I don't know, just, I'm just curious about like their little snippet of their, their story. And then we're going to get back to your story. Yeah, no, they, uh, my grandpa was a salon. He sold hair salon supplies for Redken for a very long time. And before that he was a coach. So he always pushed me in sports all the time. So he was kind of like, uh, I always think, I always tell him that 
I should have ended up in the professionals, but you didn't coach me well enough. We always go back and forth on that. But then my that's, a ball, but that's the running joke. Now yeah. I have to be a lawyer. Sorry. Yeah. Now you force <laughs> me to go into the legal professions where I'll, <laughs> but my grandma was a real estate agent. She actually just went on to a referral basis, but she's been doing it for her entire life almost. She was in retail for a while before that, but they really might, once they started stepping off the gas and they brought me in, it was kind of their full-time job raising me since my dad was gone all the time. And I mean, just the sacrifice they made to give me the opportunities that I've had in life. It's just, I can't thank them enough every day. And I'm just happy that I'll have to get on one of these headsets and put it on so they can listen and know that I really do appreciate what they did to put, help me get through Iowa and put me through law school. And so I'm glad they get to see everything come to fruition. That's fantastic. And we're grateful too, because you know we're going to benefit from you joining Foley. So also <laughs> thank you to Nick's grandparents. We, we appreciate it a lot. All right. Well, picking up where we left off, I would love if you could also just tell me a little bit about Cedar Rapids. So you, I know, are an avid listener of the podcast. I frequently say just how... Midwestern I am, having grown up in the Milwaukee area, and now I live in Chicago, but we get listeners from all over. And so I don't know what there is to share about what the, I don't know if it's the city of Cedar Rapids, the town of Cedar Rapids, but but what it, what it's like. Yeah. So the Cedar Rapids, they call it the, the city of five seasons. So I really don't know beyond what they try to call the fifth season, but it's a whole community aspect. So the whole thing is like Cedar Rapids, we have about six or seven high schools in the area that encompass Cedar Rapids is a little bit bigger city than people expect when they come in. But when I came here, I went to Cedar Rapids Prairie, which is called the college community because it's connected to Kirkwood. And I really was nervous about how I was going to acclimate. But as soon as I came in, I made a lot of friends. Everyone was so welcoming of me, which was just a really nice, nice way to go about it. And I think that what makes Cedar Rapids like that is the fact that it's a small town in comparison to like even the Milwaukee's, the Chicago's, but it's the city in Cedar Rapids. So you get a little bit of a cross of both. So you have, you have plenty of things to do in Cedar Rapids, but at the same time you get to you get to enjoy the smaller town community. Everyone kind of bands together. And I think that that was beautiful. And I had friends from different high schools around the area, all we just from playing sports or meeting them through different ways. So I think everyone was just really, really nice people in the community. So. All right. A couple of things. So you go from Michigan to Iowa, but you stay a Michigan fan. I wanted to get back to that because there's probably some listeners who really don't like Michigan. And they're like, oh, good. They skirted right over that. But I just wanted to ask, like, so you maintain your Michigan fan status while in Iowa? I think it was more so the fact, like, when people used to tell me all the time how bad Michigan was, it made me more of a Michigan fan. I would like, I put on the shield at that point. And so I was like, you know what? If someone's got to defend Michigan's honor, so it's got to be me. I mean, I could make, we could make this a whole Michigan podcast about the football season. Which would be really sad though, because <laughs> I'm not actually a sports person. I joke that I should have a shirt that just says go sports. Cause I, I really am agnostic and I don't care, but I'm married to an avid Michigan fan. And, and he went to Michigan for undergrad, my husband. So I did go there for, for law school. I do own Michigan apparel, but I am not, my day is not ruined when Michigan football loses in the way that it is for many other people. So we, so it'd be sad. I just bring my husband in here if we were going to do that, but it is, it is funny. And I do, I do appreciate the rivalry. I also appreciate that they've had a lot of ups and downs over the, oh, I don't know, decade and a half that I've been paying attention to them. <laughs> so it's just, it is kind of funny to talk about, although I'll, I'll get away from sports because this is polarizing. There's probably some people who now don't want to listen, but tell me about, let's fast forward to you and say, I don't know, high schoolish. What was Nick like in high school? Was he like, I'm going to be a lawyer or who were you then? 
I definitely was not thinking about becoming a lawyer. When I was in high school, I was really, really into sports. I was really into just kind of trying to do as well as I could in high school. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to go. I didn't even know where I wanted to go to school for a while. So when I was going through. And what does it that sports mean? Does that mean you're playing sports? Like, is it what and what sports? Yeah, I was playing mostly baseball throughout high school. So I was a really big baseball fan and just going through that, trying to figure out what I want, if I wanted to try to make anything out of that. But throughout the years in high school, I came to a realization that I need to put the sports career on, on a back burner. And I ended up, once I decided to go to Iowa, I still wasn't sure, didn't even think about law school at that moment. I actually was thinking more medicine at that point, thinking about trying to become a doctor. I think it was ma- mainly the fact that I knew I wanted to go on to post-grad, some kind of post-grad plans. But it, uh, I quickly realized that that medicine was not. As soon as I opened my chemistry, my biology books, and <laughs> I, I knew right then that I needed to, <laughs> I needed to set that off to the side and think about something else. It, that doesn't click with me at all. So, so when it came to going to college, did you? Was it like, yeah, I want to go to college. I'm applying to college. By then, actually, what was your thought going into college then? Was it like, I'm just going to go to college and see what I like? Or was law school in the back of your head? Exactly. I really just went in open-minded. I think I was technically like a pre-med track open major because I just didn't even know what I wanted to major in. So I took mainly just some of the the health science uh, classes that weed you out, which obviously worked with me in terms of (laughs) knowing that I didn't want to do that. But I didn't really start thinking hard about law school until about my sophomore year when I went to my guidance counselor and kind of just told them that I was really struggling with having any kind of purpose in terms of what I wanted to do. And they were like, well, you want to, you told us you want to go to post-grad, like, have you thought about law school? And I, I had had some experience. I've talked to some lawyers just even throughout just my grandparents knew or my parents knew. And then I talked to, uh, just other people about it and that I knew that were thinking about it. And I, it sounded interesting to me, but I wasn't sure at that point. And so I was like, what's the best major to become a law student? They they told me to study ethics and public policy, which if someone asked me what that was, I don't even know if I could tell you. So that could tell you. <laughs> You're like, I can't define it now. I certainly couldn't then. <laughs> so I, I think that I maybe the realization of the fact I did my degree was not going to be very employable it drove me to the legal field. But on top of that, it was just... Once I started, I worked for a law firm, small one in Iowa City, and then I also did a little volunteer internship at the Johnson County Courthouse, which and is that was the, while in college. Yeah, that was while I was in college. So it, those kind of gave me a little of an idea of what the legal practice was like, but I knew that I wanted something, something bigger, something a little more exciting because those were the smaller community practices. But I had done research as well. I kind of scoured some forums and read more about law school and what the legal practice was like because I knew how much of a dedication it was once you like picked that you wanted to go to law school. It's a big investment. There's a a lot that can go wrong if you don't really aren't really committed to it. Well, so I yeah. It's it's really wise that you want to do that research. And it's funny as you were talking about your major and whether that could really lead to a job. It just it takes me back. And listeners know this like part of this podcast is just going to be hearing Alexis reflect on her life. <laughs> So for me, I was uh, an undergrad. I was a law and society major, whatever that means. I think it's basically poli sci, but it was called law and society. So that I have a bachelor's in law and society, just so you know that. (laughs) And then I also did, I was minoring in philosophy. And then I was like, oh, for like three more classes, it's a major. So I also, I double majored in philosophy. And I remember either somebody 
while I was in college or after being like, yeah, I really hear those philosophy factories aren't hiring the same anymore (laughs) as they used to. But I essentially picked majors that were you have to go to law school because what are like what are you going to do with this? That's (laughs) but I was not, but I wasn't smart enough to do the research on what lawyers actually did. So I could have told you when I was going to take the LSAT because I was that person who did know. And by the way, when I do these interviews, I often approach it as like, so you were 13. Did you know you were going to be a lawyer? And most normal people say no. But I was one of those people who would say yes. And then of course, I'm not a lawyer anymore. But I didn't do that. Let me go get some practical experience. And so I think that's so smart. What what year in college did you have those internship or those part-time job opportunities? So yeah, it's kind of weird because in uh, high school with the college community aspect, we were able to take some community college classes, knock out some gen ed stuff. So I was lucky enough to, I was trying to book it through undergrad as quick as possible. And just so I could kind of have a year off before I went off to law school. And I, w- I volunteered at the Johnson County Courthouse my junior year, I want to say. Oh, of high school. So part of my sophomore uh, of college, of college, oh, undergrad. College. Okay. So I just had knocked out, which would have technically been my last year of undergrad. And then in my year off, heading into law school, I worked for the law firm in Iowa City. So that kind of gave me the public interest side and then the private practice. And I want to hear I want to hear more about that because the the beauty of me not having to cover the next 30 years of your legal practice which I do with some of our guests is that we do have a little bit of time and also I think whether it be other law students listening but I've had people say oh my gosh I'm going to my my teenage son listens to this so just to, a little more detail in terms of when you're volunteering at the courthouse what are you doing what was that That was honestly uh I was just Going through, I was technically a victim witness coordination intern. So I was on making sure that victims and witnesses for these criminal trials were being well informed about what was going on. They were having some kind of place to stay, that they were receiving like our communications, our emails, our papers. So I was working closely in that regard. But the nice thing was the the prosecutors around the office, they would talk to me about what they did also because they knew that I wanted to go to law school. So I would walk around and actually one of the prosecutors, I, I had a, I saw him, I want to say last year when we were, I was at Big Grove, just a restaurant brewery in Iowa City and he was there and I talked to him a little bit and it was cool to just see that connection that still lasted through the years. And I, I updated him. I think I had accepted at Foley at that point, told him about that. And he was really, really happy about that. So it was cool to see. And they really at least... They knew that what I was doing wasn't a good good show of what the legal profession truly was. So they would take me in, or at least they would talk to me in the hallways and kind of... Right. So they knew, they knew you were interested and they told you more, so you got more context. But in general, it's because you got into the environment that you were able to meet some people who could tell you more. Also, I have to just comment on victim witness coordinator is a rough job title. That is a tough, just the title itself. You're like, oh, that sounds like a a hard. (laughs) It's a tongue twister. I can barely say it. (laughs) Hard to say, but also like, yeah, I coordinate victims and witnesses. That does remind me, okay, I lied a little. I did have some touch points with legal. I've said this before. I was an investigative intern for the Public Defender Service in D.C., which in a strange way is not terribly far off from what you were just talking about. And that one of our jobs would be going out to meet the complaining witness 
and taking their statement, which at the time seemed super normal. But now I'm like, oh, I was 20. And I was going out and finding the person who filed the police report against whomever the lawyer I was working with was representing. And then me and my partner were like, hey, can we take your statement? <laughs> That's intense. That's really intense. And the at least at the time, and it probably still is, the public defender service in DC was one of the like preeminent public defender services. But not surprisingly, they were did not have a lot of budget to investigate. And they did have real staff investigators on, but for some of the more minor stuff, that's where interns came in. So sorry, you're just really jogging my memory here. Okay, the other thing you mentioned was that you interned at, was it a, did you say it was a small law firm? Correct, small law firm in Iowa City. Yeah, when was that? That would have been actually just the year off in between undergrad and okay. law school. So it would have been 2018, I want to say. So I did that for my entire year, just kind of, one, so, so I could survive, make money and live with some friends and just kind of like, I needed to decompress really going through that undergrad that quickly. And I knew that going straight through law, to law school would have been just a complete mistake unless I knew 100% knew where I wanted to go. I knew that Iowa was definitely somewhere I wanted to go just because I knew Iowa's reputation in the Midwest and at least that it would have opened the doors that I wanted to from the research that I've been doing. So working at that small law firm also opened me up to now private practice, the litigation side mostly, which is kind of also what law school really just opens you up to. And it was interesting to me and it gave me that aspect. But at the same time, I just, I knew I wasn't, I hadn't hit what I wanted to, but from what I was reading and I knew there was also some transactional attorneys, mostly they do, they work with, uh, wills, trusts and all that different kind of stuff. Farmers in Iowa technically, or typically, seek out their assistance. And so it was, it was cool to see that, but I knew that there was something that I was looking for different. So I was just kind of still feeling it out, but it at least had confirmed. And what did you do there? Just uh, briefly, like, what did you, what kind of work did you do when you were there? So, yeah, I was a uh, front desk, but I also, I would answer phone calls. I would, they actually, how they did it, they kept all their files in storage. Like, and you think of like how most law firms do it now. Everything's electronic now. But I would go out to uh, the storage facility and there's just these super old dusty files and I would just go through those, find them for them. So in case an old client came back and I was kind of jack of all trades, whatever they needed me to do that. Yeah. You just did what needed to be done. Didn't require a license. I did. So it, it was, that was a great experience because I did a lot of the, I actually used uh, the dictaphones. If you had seen that where I had to have to put that on a headset and like type transcribe what they would say. So I thought that's what the legal profession was. I thought that's all it was, was I just would type talk into a dictaphone and just go from there. So I find that hysterical that you just even said the word dictaphone, because that is this vestige of like, I don't know when a lot of people stopped using them, but generally speaking, now there are still, and not to stereotype, but some, I'd say old school partners who either are using them themselves or may have an assistant that uses them, but generally we don't use them anymore. And to me, it's almost gone the way of shorthand. I don't know if you've heard of shorthand, how a lot of like the legal admins, they would go to, I don't know, paralegal school or whatever and learn shorthand. And maybe people still do, but that's one of those other things with now with like computers and word processing. <laughs> 
we don't use as much anymore. So that's hysterical that in 2018, you were using a dictaphone for anything. <laughs> it was funny. There would be like points where I couldn't understand exactly what had been said. Maybe some there was some background noise and I'd spend five, 10 minutes just debating like, do I type this word out or do I interrupt the attorney? I don't know what to do. So I was just the oh, whole no. time. I would have the the secretary I worked with. She was amazing, but I would, I would have her listen to it. I'd be like, what do you think he said? And it was... What do you think it says? Well, and it, it's funny because now I'm afraid that someone's going to listen to this and be like, actually, Alexis, 27% of lawyers still actively use dictaphone. But I'm like, I don't know. I've been in this industry for the, the better part of a decade and a half, and I have not encountered them. So that's really funny. And by the way, if you ever tell that story a few years from now, people look at you and be like, you look too young to have even know what a dictaphone is. They're going to, yeah, they're going to be like, are you actually like... A lot older than what you are. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's really funny. Okay. So we are going to move forward to you in law school, but I actually want to take a little side journey because I told you as we were talking, I pulled up your info that I have about you because since you were a summer associate, you know, we have a little file about our summers and it looks like we had you write a statement where you kind of say, you know, who you are, where you're from. So you say the usual, like, I like the Detroit Tigers. I'm a Michigan sports fan, but you mentioned that your mom grew up in Bangkok, Thailand. And so that just, as I read it, made me think I should ask you a little bit about your parents. I asked about your grandparents. So, and it says that in Milwaukee, you know, it'd be great if you could find some Thai curry. I don't know if you, and you didn't get a chance to, because we had our first pandemic summer. So we need to find you a good Thai restaurant in Milwaukee. But I am just curious about that. And this, as you can tell, is me putting on my director of diversity and inclusion hat. Just have to ask you, just, I don't know. So your mom was from Thailand. Is there anything else to say about her, or your dad, or you, or your culture, or anything like that? Yeah. So she grew up in Bangkok, Thailand until she was 18. And she uh, she grew up with, I want to say, 11 other siblings. And they, they lived very poor. I mean, Bangkok, the city, unless there's a small elite, but outside of that, it's very, very tough growing up there. And so she, her and her sisters had known for a while they wanted to get out of that situation. And so... They actually, when they were 18, they were able to immigrate to the United States and happen chance, they end up in Detroit, Michigan. And she moves there. She actually didn't even get to finish high school because they just had to take the opportunity to immigrate when they could. And when they were living in Michigan, I want to make sure I tell the story right. My dad had told me it, but they she was on a jog, I guess. I don't know how this happened, but... It, Here's the thing. If you say it wrong, he'll fix it for you after he hears this. He'll clarify it for you. Exactly. He'll call me and he'll be like, how did you already forget the story? But no, they... So she was jogging and they crossed paths somehow. And my dad just ended up talking to her by, by chance. They ended up going on a date and the rest was history from what I understand. And so it's funny because my mom had to learn English really on the fly when she got to, to Michigan. So, and I still remember she would always, uh, she would try to teach me Thai all the time. And I, that's, I love spicy food. She'd always cook. She always indoctrinated me to the Thai culture, which I hold dear to my heart, but it was, uh, I couldn't speak Thai if you asked me to right on the, <laughs> right on the podcast. Unfortunately, once I moved from Michigan, that was kind of the end of my speaking of Thai, but my, aunts also lived there and they were great. I mean, her sisters were just two of the nicest people I've ever met. And so it was, they'll get to hear this too, but I still yeah. hold the Thai culture close and dear to my heart. And for my bar exam trip, my girlfriend and I were actually talking about going out to Bangkok, Thailand as well. So just kind of, cause I want to, that's a part of my life that I need to always hold close to me and never forget that that's part of who I am. So. 
I appreciate you sharing that because it's tough. I get, oh, I don't know, like 40, 45 minutes with someone. I was like, I want to pack as much of your life as possible while talking about law school. And then, you know, if you're a practicing attorney, your legal practice. But as I say in the trailer episode, for those who listen to the trailer to this podcast, one of my goals is to show there's no prototypical path to law and there's no prototypical lawyer. And so whenever I can fill in tidbits, you know, that someone can comfortably share about who they are, I just, I have to, I just have to, because, you know, it's a part of you. And I just think there's someone else nodding their head being like, oh, you know, like I'm Ty or my mom or whatever. So thank you so much. We will resume. We will get back on track. All right. So you were interning or working for a year for this law firm. And then you're like, all right, I'm ready. I'm going to go to law school. And then what happens? Yeah. So I head off to University of Iowa. I just actually move across the river. The way that Iowa City is split up, you have the east side, which is like the undergrad side and the west side. And anyone that lives on the east side of the river knows it's way too loud. There's too much like commotion going on. So I ne- needed to get to a quieter environment. And when I got there, I knew what I, I knew the grades I needed to get. I knew what I needed to do to end up in, I wanted to go into big law, some sort of bigger firm practice. And before we get there, by the way, did you only apply for law school to Iowa? Was that like, this is where I'm going? Uh, I applied elsewhere as well, but I knew that okay. if Iowa took me, that's where I was going to go. Just that's where you're going. Got it. Okay. Yeah. I've always had, I think it's, I'm a, I'm a mama's boy and I like, I need to be close to my grandma. Close to my and family. Just, yeah. yeah. My grandparents, just because I'm the only one that's really close to them now. So I like to just kind of check on them and be around them. But once I got accepted to Iowa, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And heading into that, I just kind of laid out some goals and I knew that I needed to approach it differently than undergrad because. I feel like a lot of people that are thinking about going to law school probably in the same boat as me or where undergrad, you just kind of went through the motions, but right. We were like, school, it was fine. Like I did what I did. I did what I had to do, but I wasn't like firing on all cylinders. That's the exactly. I won't be yeah. the, fir- I'll be the first one to admit that. Like I have to work to get where I want to be. I'm not the most naturally intelligent person, but I'm willing to try to do as much research, do as much as I can to prepare myself to put myself in the best situation. So yeah. And let me clarify this a little bit. It's not about natural intelligence. It's about intelligence that is like that kind of intelligence. So one of these episodes of the podcast, it was with a partner at Bully's, actually a friend of mine, Larry Perlman. And he's like, I'm going to say this out loud and people are going to hate it. But like, I like test taking. I'm just good at it. Right. And some people are naturally good at test taking, but a lot of us were just intelligent in different ways. So sorry, I had to fix that. I was like, clearly you're a very intelligent person, but I hear you when, you know, like essays and test taking aren't necessarily the like the easiest thing to do. I hear you when you say that. Exactly. And when I came into Iowa, I just knew that I needed to come in with very clear set goals, knew what I wanted, knew what I needed to get grade wise. And so I think that helped me having a clear vision of what I wanted to do because law school, it'll come at you fast. It'll come at you hard. But if you know what you're getting yourself into before you step on to campus day one, I think that you'll be in a lot better mindset and a lot better place. Yep. And by the way, how did you, and is this advice you had picked up so that when you did start law school, you sort of knew, because I do think some people start law school and they're like, I'm in law school, but they haven't talked to many lawyers or anyone who has context. So they don't necessarily know that, oh, that may, I really should buckle down because that first year matters. But you, it sounds like you came in knowing that. Yeah, I just, through my research on different forums and reading and talking to attorneys and realizing that grades really, I mean, especially your first year grades, I had re- I'd heard from everyone how important they were if that's what you want to do is go into a bigger firm practice. So just from reading enough about that and seeing all the resources online, I mean, like, 
honestly, there's a lot of great ones like Reddit. If there's like law school students that want to go out there, like there's Reddit Law School. I'm sure there might be some people listening right now that are already on there. But yeah, well, you can see me laughing because it makes me feel old. Like I learned this maybe three months ago that there's Reddit threads about law school. And of course there are. Of course there are. But, you know, as you get out of that mindset, you forget that the places that law students go to, you know, dish whatever the latest law student law firm gossip is, those places change. So, yeah, everybody listening, if you haven't been on a Reddit thread about law school, that's that's where you should go. Go to Reddit. It's a beautiful <laughs> resource. I mean, I'd recommend to anyone you can search through it and just it really helps people at least get a clear idea of what's required for any kind of, kind yeah. of I mean, not even for big law, just any kind of job. There's different hiring timelines. There's different ways to go about it. And so I think there's a thread about everything on there. So it, that really helped me get a clear vision of what I wanted. Yeah. So you start law school. You Like you said, you had your vision. You, you need to buckle down. And spoiler alert, it seems like to me that went reasonably well, maybe pretty well, maybe quite well. But it sounds like you did okay. <laughs> so, I, 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 yeah, I mean, it went through. I went through some bumps along the road. There's always going to be some classes that weren't as easy as others. But absolutely, I think that learning to roll with the punches. I mean, a lot of like cliche sayings there, but it's just it, it means a lot. I mean, law school is not going to be a straight line. There's going to be classes that you just connect with easier than others. I think that just learning where to put your time on those classes too. I just knew where to dedicate more time and where I thought I could make up more of grades. Well, so. Specifically, how was that first semester for you? Oh, just it was a roller general. coaster. Like, yeah. yeah, I just want to hear, and I don't need to get in great detail, but just, you know, like just the adjusting because it's different. Everything's different. So just tell me about that. The adjustment was very, very difficult because day one, I mean, they, they started us and we were in property. I still remember to this day, I got called on for very first day. And I was like, this is for real. Like it was Pearson, Ver- Pearson versus Post. I remember the Fox case. For those that are in law school will know that class or that that case, dear. Even I remember that case. This is like straight out of a movie. It's your first day. If I was if I was making a movie and it was set in law school, I would have the person get called on their first day in property. And yeah, the case is Pearson versus Post. Because that's like the first ever property case, apparently, that freaks law students out. I still remember too when he called me, I was like, I don't know. It's a fox. How is this anything about property right now? And I was just having a panic attack and like it, but it went fine. I like, once I took a deep breath, the professor was not trying to, he was just trying to get the best out of us too. And I, our property professor was fantastic at Iowa and he, he really just kind of worked us through. And then once I got through that first cold call, I think everything else just kind of like all this stress just kind of dissipated from my body. And I realized that I can do this. Like, this is not the hardest part of law school just, is like the anxiety, I feel like, of just being called on. and You just got it over with. It's funny, though. I think something I learned in law school, and maybe this is already my personality, maybe, is if you're going to be wrong, be wrong confidently. Be wrong so the whole class can hear that you're wrong. When they ask you the question, instead of muttering because you're not sure, be like, no, the sky is purple, and here's why I think so. <laughs> Say it loudly and proudly. And the professor will tell you you're wrong, but hey. At least no one had to strain to hear you say it. I couldn't even tell you if I, I did it correctly or not, but I just remember everyone's patting me on the back and like, you did amazing. Like this, I was like, oh, thank you. I think everyone else is just relieved that they didn't get called on. So, and I told them that it's not as bad as you think. And it really, I mean, no matter what, I know every single person coming in will always be nervous about it, but 
I think the more people here, hopefully they'll realize that you just got to do it. And once you realize that it's just you and the professor and everyone else is also worried, it goes a lot smoother than you expect. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I want to be mindful of our time. We still have some time and there's some couple things I want to hit. We have to talk about OCI and we have to talk about you being the first ever probably virtual summer associate class in large law firms. But before that, I know you're on Law Review. Tell me about that. When did you apply? What was that process like? Yeah. So I started applying for Law Review. Actually, Iowa is a write-on process. So it's actually completely anonymous grading. And heading in, you get done with your last final actually of 1L and you're leaving and they have packets out on the tables and you just grab a packet. And like the last thing you want to think about is doing a journal write-on where you have to write a 10-page comment is what they call it. And then you blue book a ton of stuff, which for people that don't know about the blue book, it's just the way that you do legal citations in law school. And so I left and through my research, I had realized that law review and just journal in general was a very strong plus factor if you were thinking about going into big law or private practice. And so I knew that I wanted to get on law review. That was my goal. That's what I wanted the most. And I was uh, I was working for a law firm in Des Moines. And I actually remember I would, I'd work for the law firm in Des Moines during the day. And then once it was over, we were allowed to stay in the office upstairs and I would just work. I would just work on that right on from five until whenever and just trying to get it done. And so that was a lot of work. But once I got it over with, submitted and accepted to be on law review, I was fortunate enough to be selected. I knew it helped me immensely in terms of one with OCI and two with just learning how to write and read effectively, which I think that people don't under, don't realize how hard it is to read something like different like legal writing and scour through that stuff. So it was yeah. student writer process. Like we just mostly blue booked and like went through like footnotes. And then once I chose to be on board. I kind of got convinced by the editor-in-chief of the last law review, if he listens to this. This is uh, Matt Scott that made me come on. And so he really pushed me for it. And I'm glad he did because it's, it's helped me even see now the publication side, which you don't see as a student writer and see how professors... I mean, this is how professors really get their academic work out is they send it to yeah, law journals absolutely. and it means a lot to them. And so it just, it's cool to see and see how professors, they're very appreciative. I get to work with a lot of professors and they tell me all the time that they're so thankful for the work that we do. And it's a really great thing to hear from professors. It just makes, yeah. th- makes things a little bit easier. So. Well, it's funny. Sorry, you said a lot of great things about Law Review, the experience and what it means to professors. I'm still stuck on the right on after you finish your first set of exams, which I do have some vague recollection of that also being the timing at Michigan. But it does make me think of like, if you just run a marathon, and then instead of you being like, oh, no, you can run another marathon. Now, and you're exactly. Like, really? <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't believe it too. Cause when I opened up the packet, I was like, it can't be that much work. Like I'll just, I'll get into it. And then I opened it. I was like, Oh no, this is a lot. <laughs> this is a decent amount of work. <laughs> oh my God. This is a lot of work. Okay. So let's talk about OCI and Foley. And this is where I hope nobody gets upset with us. Cause we might sound like we're going into like straight, like Foley propaganda mode. And maybe we will, I don't know, but you do OCI I assume you meet with a lot of law firms. You settle on Foley and Lardner. I would love to hear why Foley. And then we're going to jump to your summer associate experience. Uh, when I was going through the OCI process, it's actually funny. I uh, All the doors are different in Iowa. So they'll have like little signs on them that say, knock when the time, when your time is there. So all my doors are like that. And Foley's was knock two minutes before your time was there. And I... 
I like to prepare before the interview. So I was going through it and I walk up to the door and I, I was like, oh no, I already, I already messed up my interview. It says two <laughs> minutes before I'm at the time of the door. So I knock on the door. I was, I came in, I think that really helped me just realize too. I came in with no, no preconceived notions, just kind of just wanting to tell them who I am and really no nervousness. And I think that's when I speak up my best and do my best. And it went really smoothly. I, I met with Carmen Deco in the Milwaukee office and Alex Lodge in the Madison office. And the interview was just a really smooth interaction. And they really wanted to find out who I was as a person. And then when I interacted with them in terms of asking them questions, they really just were responsive to everything I had to say. And I, that was a great experience. And then when I came for my callback interview, that's when I got completely sold on Foley. So I come back from my callback interview and I actually had uh, a couple, a couple changes to my schedule that day. So I was doing a little quick research and I still remember Brian house was one of the partners I met with that day and he's an Ohio state fan. So we, we got into it a little about Michigan, but he, he also is a big Thai cuisine aficionado as well. Oh. So he was from the DC office for a while. And he told me that DC has far and away better Thai, but he's like, I can <laughs> show Milwaukee. you some. Of, yeah. He's like, I can show you some of the, the good Thai spots in Milwaukee. And we really had a great interaction there. And just everyone in general was so welcoming of me. And even though I didn't feel like, cause Iowa law school, not that it's, it's still a great law school, but I didn't feel like they cared about well, what law school you went from, what what you did before fully. Like they just wanted to know who you were as a person. Good what, people. Yeah, yep. and they they just wanted to see if you were a good fit in for the law firm. Which I mean, the fit was perfect for me just because everyone was just yeah. It was just a, I have nothing but good things to say about fully. Like you said, it might sound like propaganda, but I mean I'm there, so it worked. <laughs> I mean I'm a part of fully now. And I'm very happy about it. And I just couldn't have been happier. Absolutely. Well, and it's interesting because something that I've found, so now I've been working at Foley as in my role for closing it on a year. And as you know, many know, I summered at Foley a very long time ago. But I do find compared to many of the other firms of our size, we may not be as well known. So we do have, last I checked, it's well over, it's over a thousand lawyers in the U.S., and 21 offices. And so if you kind of look, you know, the other firms of that size, they may have a little bit more name recognition for whatever reason, or people sometimes think we're only regional. And so I'm always interested when I talk to law students about their impressions of the firm or how they heard about the firm. And partly though, when you're a law student, you don't know the names of any law firms. I remember being like, I don't know. They all sound like fraternity and sorority names that I've never heard of before. But I do really appreciate you reflecting on your your experience getting to know us. And and was, by the way, was your callback the only time you've gotten to go to the Milwaukee office because of the pandemic? That is true, actually. I remember flying and I, I connected through, I went from Des Moines because I was still finishing up my summer job. I went from Des Moines to Minneapolis and I I landed, I had such a quick connection. I remember sprinting through the airport and just like trying to catch my flight. And so I got, I made it thankfully, but, and then I got to Milwaukee and like, I fell in love with the city right there too. I had had previous exposure, but I didn't know that fully was the U S bank building. And just to get, I, I remember walking down to Lake Michigan and just seeing how the office overlooks the water. And it's I, a beautiful view and made probably like one of the tallest buildings in Milwaukee. And then I, yeah, I'm a little partial to Milwaukee. I grew up there, but I do think, like you said, people may have certain thoughts about what Milwaukee is like. Then when you visit, you're like, oh no, this is pretty metropolitan. And this view is beautiful, but this is a good segue. So normally 
you would visit the office for the callback, and then you would start in that office as a summer associate. But instead, we have a global pandemic, and we, at least on the law firm admin side, the world scrambled to pull together the first virtual summer associate class. And let me set this up even more. I want to be dramatic about it just because I can, which is, you know, Nick, as far as I know, this may be the first podcast, maybe the only podcast to have a summer associate on who was a virtual summer during the coronavirus pandemic. You know, people listening, prove, prove me wrong, prove me wrong, send me others. <laughs> but I would love for you, to, I'd love for you to share. What was that like? You're you're excited. You're going to be a summer associate, but the experience is so different. So we send you a laptop <laughs> and then what happens? <laughs> Explain it with one word. I was nervous just in terms of, I'm very extroverted. I like to meet people. I'm a office. Like I want to walk into offices and do all that. So I was nervous about being able to meet people in that way and just have the face-to-face interaction. I just remember day one, too, when we uh, log on to do orientation and we have all, we haven't put in our pictures yet, but we're all into the first orientation day. And I was just like, oh, I wish I could just be meeting these people in person and like getting the interaction. But after day one, I think that there was two ways we could have gone about it. We could have just said, oh, whatever, we're virtual. We'll just we'll do our own work, do our own thing. But our summer class, especially, I, I'm sure it was like this across other offices too, but in Milwaukee, especially, we really banded together. We made a group chat. We all made a concerted effort to get to know each other. And I think that the pandemic made us band together even stronger. And I absolutely loved my class, we all got along so well, and that made the experience even 10 times better. But once I got to go through the virtual experience, I had attorneys reaching out to me. Every time I would reach out to an attorney to talk, I would get an instant response. No one turned me down. It was just a great opportunity for I think it was even easier for me to meet with people because in the Milwaukee, I mean, the Milwaukee's office is huge. I would have had to go floor to floor to floor, but I was able to just Skype call Microsoft Teams all the time and I got exposure to all the different practice groups. So the way that Foley structured the virtual program, I think worked extremely well because we were able to pull work from all different like industries and practice groups. But at the same time, we we got to do team meetings all the time. And there was, I think they set the schedule super well for us to be able to figure out what we wanted to do. And I just, I really enjoyed, I mean, obviously since I'm going back, it like it worked for me yeah. extremely well, but I just, I really enjoyed the virtual aspect because I was just nervous in general because I knew, known there were summer programs that had been canceled or cut completely. And so the fact that we were still able to have a substantive experience was just so meaningful to me. And I just, yeah, I just was very thankful about being able to. Well, it's such a strange time. And my hope, of course, is for our next summer class that they're in person, you know, fingers crossed that it's safe to do that. But, you know, there's a chance we might have to do it again, although I hope not. I am curious in terms of substantive stuff, like what kind of stuff did you get to work on as a as a virtual summer associate? My first project, I still remember it was uh, in the Jedi group with uh, John Turley and the Milwaukee. Do you know what Jedi stands for? Government Enforcement Defense Investigation. Because I had to okay. ask because I was like, this isn't actually related to like Star Wars at all, right? right? Well, like, and I say <laughs> that for those outside of Foley who listen, they'll be like, and they they do have one of the cooler sounding acronyms of within law firms, I would say. But anyway, go on. So you do a Jedi, a Jedi project. And I didn't even know that was a practice group at Foley. To tell you the truth, and when I got into it, it was it was so interesting because I did a... 
I worked with the anti-bribery, anti-corruption act and just kind of made sure I made a little checklist and just went through that. And it was really interesting to get exposure to that. John was awesome about telling me more about the group. But like you said, it's it's very, very intense, very interesting. But I think it was uh, (laughs) a little even too cool for me is what I would tell people. But (laughs) I really enjoyed it, though. And it was a great exposure to something that I didn't even know existed at Foley. And so I did that. And then my associate mentor, actually, Nick Kitzman at the Milwaukee office, he was a real estate. He was a real estate attorney. And he, him and I had a lot of interaction through that. And all of a sudden, I just told him that I was interested in doing transactional work. I was interested in the real estate group. And he really facilitated my ability to get more and more work from the real estate group. And I think that people are listening to this. Foley does an amazing job about if you reach out to them and tell them like, if you have an interest, they will make sure that you get work in that area. And I didn't think I got to meet all the people that really met like Larry Bonnie was awesome. We got to do a lot of work together and they just, they really do a good job and especially their group is smaller. So they kind of recruited a little bit more. I felt like in terms of they, they wanted to make sure that whoever they had fit with the group well. And so I did, I did a lot of substantive work in the TPG and real estate group. Cause that's what I came down to is yep. and TPG is ta- no transactional practice group. Practice group. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just pause. I, I literally just had every acronym at every firm I've ever worked for pop into my head. And I was You're like, good. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I knew I wanted to do, when I came in, I actually thought I wanted to do M&A, mergers and acquisitions. Mm-hmm. And I was really interested in that because I had taken a class, but I had realized that when I came in, I wanted to do it for the glit and the glamour. I wanted to do it to be in the Wall Street Journal or just have work with those kind of companies. But I quickly realized that a fulfilling career is working with the people that you really, really connect with. And and where your interests lie. The, the intersection of those two things, if you can get that, that's perfect. And uh, yeah, so that's why I really, I came down, I kind of sat down and thought about it. And that's why I, I ended up putting real estate group as my number one, just because it, that's yeah. where I felt like my connections lied the greatest and my interests lied the greatest, just because there's a lot of intersection in the work. But at the same time, I, I really connected with that group extremely well. So it's, I think that, just the substantive work all helped me get to that point. But I, I had taken work in TPG, transactional practice group, real estate, Jedi, litigation, antitrust with a subset of that. So it was, I got plenty of experience. That is a good sampling, especially considering because of the pandemic and having to figure all this out, it was, it was a shortened summer. So I think all, instead of the normal eight or 10 week program, it was six weeks. So you, you really did pack a lot into that six weeks to get a taste for so many different practice areas within the firm. And then also, as we wrap up a couple things, I have to give a shout out to our recruiting department who planned something that had never been done before. We have a lot of really dedicated, hardworking people who work work in that department at Foley. And then a special shout out to Amy Moynihan, who is our director of recruiting and who'd actually joined Foley during the pandemic. And it was like, hey, Amy, thanks for joining Foley. Can you go ahead and plan a virtual summer program? We've never done it before, but like, you'll be fine. It's fine. It's in, oh, and it's in like eight weeks or whatever it was. <laughs> so so it sounds like you felt well supported. And I know they planned a ton of like interesting little activities and get to know you so that you all felt connected to the firm. And I hope those were well received too. They were, they were. We did uh, trivia. I remember Windy City Trivia Night, which is a, a riot. Our uh, Milwaukee office loved it. We the group was amazing that put it on. And then we also did, I remember we were supposed to go to Chicago if we were in person and have a firm wide recruiting event, but yeah. 
Normally up, we yeah. would in normal times. Yeah, yeah. So we ended up doing that virtual as well, but I got to meet people from other offices around the country. And I, I thought, I mean, Milwaukee office was extremely welcoming, but then that just opened my eyes up too. I met uh, an associate over at the LA office. I met Summers from Detroit office and just different offices, Madison, and it was the same all over. So it really shows that even though that there's, I mean, all over the country fully is, but at the same time, they're all looking for the same kind of culture and people that fit well together. So, yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing that. And okay, so we will wrap. I could talk to you for a really long time, but let's finish the podcast like I finish all these podcasts. Your reflections or advice to somebody who either thinks they want to go to law school or maybe to law students who are gearing up for OCI. I don't know if you have any sort of final thoughts thoughts for them. My advice is just to do your research, really prepare as well as you possibly can for law school, OCI, any of that, and just lay out some goals. I think that for me, the vision really helped me the most was knowing what I exactly wanted and even if you don't know exactly what you want, just ha- being able to lay out some kind of goals to go after just helps a ton. And just treat law school like a nine to five. I know that's been emphasized throughout this podcast, but treating law school like a nine to five, minimizing your distractions. For me, it's my cell phone. I need to put that down and like put it on mute or something. I, I throw it in my backpack, actually. And so I also can't study at home, which probably doesn't make the, the study at home environment that great. But I, I've learned to acclimate. I would study at our law school carols and just kind of find ways to minimize your distractions and treat law school like a nine to five because it truly is a job. And I think that helped me just do as well as I possibly could. So a mixture of those two, I think everyone will be fine coming in law school. Well, thank you so much for that, Nick. And normally at the end of these, I would say, oh, you can find this person on our website. You can't find Nick on our website yet, but you will eventually. But for now, what I will say is Nick is on LinkedIn If he said something that interests you, find him there, shoot him a message. But otherwise, Nick, thank you so much for being on the podcast and best of luck finishing your last year of law school. It's an absolute honor, Alexis. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to The Path and the Practice. I hope you enjoyed the conversation and join us again next time. And if you did enjoy it, please share it, subscribe, and leave us a review as your feedback on the podcast is important to us. Also, please note that this podcast may be considered attorney advertising and is made available by Foley & Lardner LLP for informational purposes only. This podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship. Any opinions expressed herein do not necessarily reflect the views of Foley & Lardner LLP, its partners, or its clients. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to convey the firm's legal position on behalf of any client, nor is it intended to convey specific legal advice.